Before we get to the podcast this week, support for the Rigsby Report is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the -the below-the-waist grooming champion of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools. I love this rhyme. Precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower. Also love that name, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. It's the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you, by the way, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code DOD. So just head to Manscaped and punch in the code DOD. And guys, trust me on this. I'm a very transparent person. You know this about me. I speak the truth from the heart. Come on, dudes. You, you got you to gotta be trimming down there, right? You, you can't be... I've been using the term woolly mammoth. My wife doesn't like that term. She, she thinks it's gross. You, you, you got to trim down there, right? That's the point I'm getting at. I'll have my wife come up with a better term than woolly mammoth. Your lady doesn't want you to be like that. You don't want to be like that. Get Manscaped. It's that important. It's a new sponsor for the Rigsby Report. I'm super excited about it, and I think we've been selling them some lawnmowers. Uh, so, so far, the partnership has worked out great. All right, let's go. And most importantly, welcome to DirtOnDirt.com. When I look to book a guest on this podcast, sometimes they just jump off the page for me. I almost have a revelation of, oh yeah, I got to have this guy on. For whatever reason, the past 10 days or so after Eldora, it's probably that, my Eldora brain fog, nothing was hitting me. There just wasn't a lightning bolt moment that I had. But then about a week ago, I got up in the middle of the night to pee, and this is a true story. When you approach 40 years old, which I will be in January, you have to pee a lot more in the middle of the night. Uh, The interview idea just hit me. Why the hell, how the hell have you not thought about or even had Jimmy Mars on the Rigsby Report before? He's one of the best interviews in the sport. He is painfully honest, like almost to a fault sometimes. I'd interview him in the past and be like, Jim, you sure you want to say that? And he would always say yes. He's one of that old school era of racers that is a little younger than Eckert and Francis and those guys, but still really knows what it's like to come up sort of in that golden era of dirt late model racing. He's been part of the sport for over 30-plus years, and he's transitioned into a hell of a businessman with his chassis business as well. And now his son, uh, Sam, is racing also. And one other note on Jimmy, and I'm doing this before I get him on the air. People always wonder how the, the cadence of these interviews work. I record this piece before I record the interview. I felt compelled to say this, you know, I have to apologize to him. I've failed him in a way. Jimmy was one of those guys that was so important in the early DOD days, whether it was letting me set up in his hauler and work at Arizona or an early advertiser, his company was with us. I just feel like there's just this group of early DOD dudes, Jeep, Jimmy Owens is in there, Jack Sullivan, Some of the others like him that helped shape this website, helped make me feel like I could do this. And I'm guilty of not staying with with as good a touch with him as I should have. I need to reach out to Jimmy more, and I don't. I need to tell him thank you more, and I don't. And I think I've just really kind of dropped the ball with Jimmy Mars. He's one of my favorite people in racing, and he believed in me and in my dream of Dirt on Dirt 
long before I think I did, maybe even. And I admittedly, I think I got too busy, which is not an excuse. And I think that's part of the reason I wanted to have him on here this week as well, is just to tell him that, right? I like to be honest with people and tell him thank you and talk to him about that. So uh, it's an, it'll be an awesome hour, I have no doubt, with Jimmy Marr. So let's get to it now with the Iceman, 28, from Menominee, Wisconsin. I can't remember exactly who it was. I- I'm kind of blanking for whatever reason. But I was at a Dirt Late Model event when I was in my teens. And I can't remember the announcer. But Delbert Smith came out for qualifying. And the announcer said, it's the Iceman, Delbert Smith. And I nearly ran to the tower at that exact moment and went, whoa, 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 whoa. There is only one Iceman. And at that time, it was the guy that lived in Elk Mound, Wisconsin. He calls Menominee home now. But it was Elk Mound at the time. All due respect to Delbert Smith. But Jimmy Mars is the only Iceman. And there is no debate in Dirt Late Model Racing about it. I tell that story because I really am trying to illustrate. I feel like my entire life and racing career... I've had a connection with Jimmy Mars. You heard what I said in my open about how he was one of those original Dirt on Dirt guys, and I truly mean this. Whenever I hear his name, I mean this. I get a smile on my face. Jimmy joins me now on the Integra Shocks and Springs Hotline. Jimmy, you didn't hear the open that I recorded before I got on the air with you, but I really kind of laid my heart out, and I said, you were a guy that was instrumental in the early success of this website, And I feel like I've kind of failed to maintain that relationship with you. And I mean it. When I say it, I'm really sorry for that. I wanted you to hear it. And I don't think I've stayed in good enough touch with you. And you meant so much to Dirt on Dirt in the beginning. And I I guess this is a weird way to start an interview, Jim. But I just wanted to sort of start with a formal apology (laughs) to you. All right. Well, apology accepted. It's uh, (laughs) we we all get busy, and I'm um, I'm definitely proud of uh, watching what dirt on dirt has become and and what you've been able to make out of it it's a pretty neat deal i remember you and amber sitting <laughs> with your little fold-up table and a little pop-up tent and selling subscriptions at different racetracks and and uh you know to where you're at right now it's pretty damn cool Am I am I reaching too much? I think I consider you an early dirt on dirt guy. I was always setting up in your holler and bothering you and your brother. Can can you can I put you in the class of important early dirt on dirt guy? Do you accept that? Is that okay? <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I got a little story to tell on that the whole Iceman thing. I never did have a a nickname, and uh, for whatever reason, I was sponsored by uh, beer companies. Yeah. And uh, starting out, and I was sponsored actually by Old Style. And uh, I didn't know that. Anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in my early years, get this, I was I think I was fourteen or fifteen when I first <laughs> got an old a beer sponsor. So <laughs> anyway, so anyway, I'm I'm would sneak into the bars, and I wasn't old enough to drink, and I'm playing pool, and uh, I wasn't too bad at pool, and. Anyway, I won this game, and the guy's like, "Well, what are you drinking?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't, I don't give a shit. I, I wasn't gonna go up there and get a beer." Anyway, he brings back a Bud Light, and I'm sponsored by Old Style. Well, anyway, one of the the truck Old Style truck drivers is in there, and he's mad because I'm here. I'm drinking Bud Light, and I'm just drinking whatever is <laughs> given to me at the time. And uh, anyway, they didn't want to sponsor me anymore. I just definitely messed up so i ended up going over to to budweiser and told them what happened and they said well they'll sponsor me 
Well, I ended up getting sponsored by Bud Ice and the two Geertz boys that owns Build Distributing. They uh, they started calling me. They're like, the Iceman cometh. And I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, shit, here we go. We got a nickname now. So then it stuck after that. So it was kind of interesting how it went. But, yeah, so we were sponsored by Bud Ice, and I guess that was that was how the whole Iceman um, – nickname kind of got going so it's kind of interesting two things about that number one that is the most wisconsin story i've ever heard in my life a 14 year old sneaking into a bar i love that and number two i love that at least that nickname came about organically right same way with rick eckert's nickname scrub it wasn't some announcer giving you a nickname right it like can you at least appreciate that it like happened on its own in a way you know Oh yeah, yeah. You, you'd wonder about the if an if the announcer gave you a nickname Scrub, you'd be like, "Hey, thanks a lot. I really appreciate that one." So, yeah, I get that for sure. All right, let's get to the really important questions now. Question number one: Aaron Rodgers, are you ready to get rid of the diva that is Aaron Rodgers, or are you ready to keep him and ride out this last year? I'm ready, Jim. I want to know: Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you over the soap opera, or how do you feel about Aaron Rodgers, the Packers fan? I would have kicked the bitch down the next block because he's. <laughs> You know, was a guy good? Yeah, he's good. But you know what? He should appreciate being able to to do what he's getting to do. Um, because we got guys. Actually, I know a few few uh, one one local guy that uh, for sure this Nate Stanley that I, he would have went over there and played for nothing and is a damn good quarterback and he can't get a chance to save his life. And here you got this prima donna that just needs to go down the next block, I'll tell you that. And his haircut. But he looks ridiculous now, does he not? And now I'm a Bears fan, so of course I'm jaded totally. But his hair is terrible. Yeah. He looks all greasy now, Jim. I I don't understand it. Um, <laughs> I, I don't understand it by any means. They got uh, you know, I've, I've stuck up for him because, you know, I'm – I'm a Packer fan, sure, anyway. Sure. Um, you know, a bunch of my friends are like, "This guy's an idiot." You know, and I, I guess I, I can't, I can't stick up for the guy anymore. There's no way I can. He's just, he's a kind of a just a douche. So. <laughs> Okay, and I could get, I could ask you thirty Packers questions. I got to get to some racing stuff. In all yeah. seriousness, I have so much that I want to do. Want to talk to you about your son Sam is now seventeen years old. Somehow he was fourteen, or excuse me, he was three years old when I started Dirt on Dirt. It's fourteen years ago. He was three. He's now a pretty successful little racer up north around home in Wisconsin and that Wasoda area and all that there. I was just curious about this. What is the biggest piece of advice, Jimmy, that you've given? Sam uh, about dirt late model racing. What what is the biggest piece of advice you've given him? It's it's a I don't know. I you know I've tried to help him out all the way around, but mainly just just driving people with respect and and not not going down some of the routes that some of these guys have. And and I said, uh, you know, you become you can win races and and drive these guys with respect and. I tell you, he's got a lot of, even if he messes up, um, he's just got a lot of respect, or a lot of people have respect for the way that he drives, and, and uh, you know, he he probably wants to, you know, get a little mad at some guy sometime <laughs> out there, but I said, you, you just drive these guys with respect, and it'll, it'll all come around for you pretty good, and, and uh, that's probably the thing that I'm the, the proudest of what he's been doing, and, and you know, being able to have success and and not get into 
just dumb controversy. So that's that's been good for him for sure. Is this something? Does he want to do this full time, Jim? Is he like, you know what, Dad? One day I want to be a full time dirt late model driver. So I get two parts there. Does he want to do it full time? And is any part of you like, ah, I don't know that I want you to do this full time? Uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of uh, both ways. We're just kind of watching and seeing how things are. And I told him, I said, you know, we you still got to be able to enjoy what you're doing. And I said, sometimes when you think that you're going to be a full-time racer, it's not always, and well, like if anything, it's not enjoyable. But I said, that there's just certain parts of it that, that aren't. And uh, he, he does enjoy the camaraderie um, in the pits and, and enjoys the competition. And then he's actually took, a, took on a big part of our race business and, um, I, that's why what I'm proud about him the most is that uh, the the initiative that he's taken on on his own to be a big part of our business, and uh, he does that first and gets paid to to work here, obviously, and then at night he's works on his car till whatever time. So both parts of it are pretty cool, and we're uh, I'm kind of taking a wait and wait and see deal because. You know, whether if he tries to be a professional race car driver, that's great. If he races here and and becomes successful at our business or something else, I mean, I think the sky's the limit any way he goes. That's what I was going to ask you, last thing on Sam. How good can he be, right? I think you know how this is. Sometimes guys get tucked away up in the, those northern regions, and we don't see them. Ra- and he's still young, granted, but we don't see them race as much against. we got to get you a secretary to answer this phone too, Jim. It's, the phone's ringing off the hook at MD up there. <laughs> well, it'll get answered one of these times in a little bit here. <laughs> how good um, uh, how good can Sam be? I mean, how good is he? How good can he be? Is he one of those guys that can be a, a top 10 talent in the country at some point in these cars? Well, I think he's, you know, the sky can be the limit for him. The one thing that's different, I guess, about him is he, he's he got to feel comfortable before he just goes out and and is going to do something 300%. You know, he's got to be in his, his comfort zone. And I know that probably sounds stupid, but... Um, I, I, I kind of, it, it, it kind of goes back to when he was a kid or, you know, younger, he's still a kid, but, um, we went out and me and Pat Dora were eating one day breakfast and Sam was pretty young and he grabbed, uh, something off my plate that was hot and he put it in his mouth and it was hot and burnt his mouth and he's bawling and Pat's kind of giggling about it because he's watching me with this kid and, and, after that, he was very cautious on about anything he did. So um, when he got into racing, he wasn't one that just went out there and went balls to the wall. He kind of found his limits and found, you know, he just he just was always had to, you know, just test the waters, if you'd say that as a analogy. Um, but, you know, when he was in go-karts, uh, his best year, he raced 19 times or in in won 19 features. Didn't matter where he started, and and then he got into the limited uh, class and and got real successful there. So I don't know. I mean, he's I think he's got a lot of potential. I mean, he's got good car control. I think sometimes he's just it's just how comfortable he wants to be with it, you know. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I, you know, I, I, we want to get into some open motor stuff and it wouldn't surprise me. Um, you know, he'll kind of get into that where he's running good also. I, 
Um, it might take a little bit, but he's not going to go out there and just hold it wide open, drive it in the wall because somebody told him to drive hard. So he just he's got a different uh, way of looking at that kind of stuff. So much of your career, Jimmy, I want to dive into. Uh, you, to me, are part of this group of guys, Burkoffer, Earl Pearson Jr., to a lesser degree, Francis and Eckert, because I think you're a little bit younger than those guys. But that group of traveling, late 90s, early to mid-2000s, super late model stars that really elevated the profile of what dirt late model racing was. You guys left your homes, you went out on the road, you were gone for months at a time, and you guys really sort of elevated the national tours. And, and that's no disrespect to like Robert Smalley and those guys back in the day, but your group of guys were really the ones that did it. Because they were doing it 20 times a year, you guys were doing it 50 and 60. Do you ever think about... That it's kind of an odd question, Jim, but that group of guys, that era of time, you were part of something special with that group. Do you think back on that fondly, and do you look at it the same way? Oh, I, I definitely look at that. I mean, there's uh, a lot of talent that that we raced with, and actually, it in a weird way, it act it, it feels like we race for more money because we're kind of about racing for the same amount yeah. right now, and things were a heck of a lot cheaper then. Um, but you know, that was a, it was a crazy way of, of traveling because, you know, there, there's, there's so many different things that happen now with, you know, we all got our cell phones. We all know how to get to the tracks and, and, uh, all that stuff where it was, it was definitely interesting because I remember going through, um, I think we went to new Egypt, um, uh-huh. New Jersey and, I'm going through the toll, and all of a sudden I'm like, uh-oh, what is that? And it's like, oh, my God, that's Staten Island. And I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> I went too far trying to get through stuff. So, you know, there is a lot of cool memories back in the day, but, you know, that's kind of when the TV started coming out. That's when we were, um, you know, the with the Have a Tampa stuff was getting going pretty good, um, the UDTRA with the swims and and uh, Doug Bland and and all that with the TV. So I mean, I I thought we we're kind of a bigger part of it at one time. It was, you know, it might look not as cool as it does now, but back in the day, we sure thought it was cool. You know, and I recently told a mutual friend of ours that you and I share together that things seemed funner then. I have a theory. I have a theory that it was much less, you know, business like back then. And maybe I'm wrong about that, but do you think I'm right about that? And I'd like a really honest assessment from you, because I know you told this mutual friend the same thing. It felt more fun back then. Why do you think it was more fun? I, I can't really – I don't know how to answer that. It's, it's weird, because, like, I go through um, – like, I go down and I've, I've helped different drivers in Florida and stuff like that when maybe I'm not able to get away to race myself. And – it just seems like everybody, I shouldn't say everybody other than the winners that night, but <laughs> it, it seems like a lot of people are just grumpy. Yes, and I don't, I, I mean, I think that there's a lot of things that are happening that, you know, um, pressure put on them, whatever you want to say. It's just different. You know, we used to get together after the races and, you know, it used to be somewhat of a camaraderie and, and now it's, it's just everybody kind of you know, might keep to a smaller group of people, but I think it's a matter of how people drive these days, how all that, because I think everybody's mad at somebody on a given night, and it never, it wasn't quite like that, because we had to go up and down the road, and a lot of it was out of our own pockets, you know, that, that compared to maybe what it is now, that we had to get to the next next place and not, you know, not 
have blowing motors, not have cars tore all the heck, and, and it was just a different, a little bit different era than it is now, for sure. The grumpy thing is such a good point to touch on, right? I think part of it is, and, and, and I said that we're as guilty as anybody. There's too much racing now. Here, we added 10 races to this miniseries we did. I don't know whether that's why they're grumpy, but you're right. When you walk through the pits, people are just grumpier now. <laughs> it's just, it's just <laughs> a surliness, and I don't know what it is. I think that might be the best way I've ever heard it described, Jim, the way you just said it. Well, it's just different. I mean, we used to just I, – I couldn't wait to get down to Eldora, and I might be there a day and a half, two days ahead of time just to be there. And now it's just like, oh, Christ, what's the what's – the, um, the latest that we can possibly leave and make sure that we still get down in the middle so that we don't have to deal with all that stuff. And, and it's just different. I don't, I don't know the exact word, but it's just like we used to, um, maybe I'm just getting old and <laughs> grumpy myself, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just a little bit different atmosphere than maybe it once was. And, you know, we'd stay out on a, we stayed on a road for a long time and, and, uh, and we would, um, I enjoy the, the rate, like getting in the car racing part, but some of the other stuff I think would, is making people a little different than it used to be. That's for well, sure. Well, it's a good segue to my next question. You've got about 50 nights on your schedule this year, mostly, you know, around, around home, I'd say by and large, you might hit six, yep. you might hit 60 nights. Obviously gone are the days of 80 to a hundred for you. Do you miss that at all or no running 80 to a hundred nights? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind certain parts of it, but there was, um, I think when you had, when you'd be out racing and you, and I know it's all part of the, the whole puzzle, but, and you had to deal with the elements, but the rain out, staying on a road, you know, driving down the road, knowing that there's a possibility it was going to get rained out. I mean, that, that just takes a toll on, you just start counting the hours of what you stay in that holler. And I just... You know that that's probably the part that'll burn you out just a little bit. But as far as the actual racing part, I hell, I think it'd be fun to you know get that many shows. Still, I, I enjoy the the driving part. But you know when you're when you race dirt racing, you're you're not just for the most part of the people that I know, um, you're not just a the racer. You're a, you're one of the mechanics, you're uh, one of the truck drivers, you know, you're, I always say you're a full-time truck driver and a part-time racer when you race dirt racing full-time, that's for sure. Well, we talked about Sam a little bit. We talked about the traveling. I used to joke with Billy Moyer Jr. all the time. I said, just move to Illinois. I said, you would travel so much less if you lived in central Illinois around like Bloomington, Fairbury, Farmer City. And I know you told someone that when you go somewhere, basically you're going, it's six hours more for you to go anywhere than it is anybody else in the country. At any point, well, it, at any point in your is. career, though, did you ever consider a move, Jim? Did you think maybe we should live in Illinois or Indianapolis or something? Well, we we thought about it, but I mean, at in a weird way at home is still home. I mean, it, it, uh, I looked at, I mean, a lot of time we, we would spend, um, down at Masterbuilt and, and that was like our second home. And I, you know, forever appreciate, um, the whole masters family for, um, allowing us to do that. And the time that we ran our, their race cars, it was awesome. Um, but yeah, it was crazy. I think in 2004 or five, we ended up building our shop up here <laughs> And it, it kind of, 
you know, I love the summer. I love everything about it other than some of the traveling sucks, you know, and and that's a part of it. But I'm way, way better off than the Moyers because I always <laughs> felt that as soon as you got to uh, Missouri or the end of Missouri going into Arkansas, you had to open a door and slam your fingers in it so that you weren't pissed off about driving down the road. You had something else to get mad at. So it was – it's definitely – I I don't know they I don't know how they did it for so many years driving up and down the road and them them roads down there for sure. We're gonna talk about your stacker two days in a bit, you know that '04 season. But one thing I always loved about your schedule, really for the past 17 years, is that you were kind of a true outlaw. You showed up when and where you wanted to. Arizona, Batesville that you mentioned, Appalachian Mountain Speed Weeks. You'd do some of that stuff out east, you know, Lernerville, the Hell Tour, Outlaws, Lucas. It didn't matter. As you got away from a touring series, how did you guys determine, you know, sort of where you were going to race? Um, it, I don't know. It seemed more random than some other guys, your schedule. So I just was kind of curious how you guys viewed that in the last 14, 15 years. Well, just like what you said, it was everything's a long ways away from us. So I'd plan out where if I'm going to hit like three, four days in a row and tracks that I, I thought were kind of interesting that I've raced in the past and – Maybe some that intrigued me that I haven't raced at, and I try to group them together yeah. to go race. And I, like I always that. had fun. I always had fun when I was at, uh, uh, like you said about the Appalachian yeah. Mountains deal. I, I haven't. I, I've always heard a little bit about Salem's Grove. I've been to Hagerstown. I like going to Hagerstown, so I went out there and enjoyed it. And then uh, Winchester. I've never been to Winchester, so I was like, you try to group, uh, you know, two, three four together that that kind of made sense and uh um so i i would go race it and uh it was that's kind of how i did it i mean it you know i liked the touring deal but um when the, the whole like you're saying you know about the stacker stuff but that was i i just kind of broke the stick off from points racing after um some of the melee that happened at the end of the year and, and trying to get point money so i'm like i'm not relying at the end of the year to get my money for sure so <laughs> well we're going to talk about that whole situation yeah. as well your resume is and by the way i like what you said there like hey i wanted to race this track so i went there what a novel concept right and i think that's part of the reason some guys are so grumpy is because when you uh, this isn't a knock on the tour i do believe in both tours yep. but sometimes when you got to be in north dakota on a tuesday you're grumpy about it right you, you don't want to drive by a bunch of other races oh it's it's you just gotta you know i mean there's you know you got family life or whatever or things going on it uh it it makes it definitely um um different because you're going to miss stuff um because you are running for points some people it doesn't bother them and and they just go with it and then uh, other people it, yeah it's definitely going to take and uh, take a toll on their other parts of their life for sure you got to when you're going to go and run a points deal you better jump in with both feet right off the bat or just realize, you know, because it's going to suck. There's times you just go through. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, you know it's there's a chance of it raining. And, you know, before, promoters were way better and series are better than what they used to be. But, we, I mean, you would know that it was raining. And you'd call, no, no, it hasn't rained a bit yet. And you'd drive for us 16, 18 hours maybe down into the Carolinas or something like that. And all of a sudden they're like, get there and they rain on and it's like oh, you want to find somebody to grab but <laughs> you know and i'm just like i'm over all that you know but you know if you're gonna do it 
you got to realize all that stuff's going to be happening, and you know, and if you understand it, it's it is what it is. It's not not a big deal. Your resume is littered with crown jewels, and I don't think you get enough credit for this. Multiple topless wins, multiple firecracker wins, multiple USA Nationals wins, a North South win, a Dream win. I think you're underrated from that perspective. I mean, I listened to that resume, right, and it is it is impressive. But, of course, to me, that dream win in 97 is likely – listen, there's a lot of highlights of your career. Let me pick my highlight of your career, I guess I should say, is the dream win in 1997. It often gets overlooked, though, because the same night you win the dream is the crazy Bloomquist-Bill Fry melee that happened that night. I'm going to start sort of open-ended on that night. What do you remember most about the 1997 Dirt Late Model Dream? Oh, there's there's so many different things that that happened during that time. It rained out the night before, um, so we didn't get to qualify. We had one lap of qualifying the next day. Um, went out there, uh, you know. I we we kind of were we're kind of all just wore out from because we were right in the middle of planting season and. And actually, the, it was kind of a blessing in disguise because we drove all night, and then it rained out that day, and got to actually sleep in that night and get ready for the next day. But um, you know, one lap of not screwing up, um, not making any mistakes, and that you know we were fast enough that put us on a front row. I think we started next to Francis, and and uh, it was kind of funny because back then you you had I don't remember what tire I think it was tens, twenties, thirties, forties. And uh, we put a 30 on because we were used to running 30s up here. And I remember Chris Francis was um, alive at that time and was giggling to Steve that he's got a 30 on it. And they were all in a soft tire kick. And I'm like, I don't give a, I don't care. That's what I run. I'll, I'll be fine. And and I went in the heat race over them. And and it was just kind of funny because the longer we went, the faster we got, da da da, all that. And it was it was good for us. And then the feature, I was so I won this heat, and and uh, we're back then. You you took and switched from methanol back over to gas for the feature, and everything was just clicking that night for us because you know you you qualified through the heat, so you you took your time, got the things sucked out, we um, got it filled back up full of gas we uh, and then to, let me back up here for a minute we went down there with an empty trailer full of tires because we all ran with soda tires yeah. so all of our tires were purchased down there so basically i had one set of qualifying tires the tires i felt like i needed for the heat race and the tires i needed for the feature so that's all i had I didn't have no spares. If I had a flat tire, I was done, you know, in any of the aspects. So, or if I went to made it through the heat, I would have ran a, you know, I went to had a good tire on for the B feature. It's just the way it all went. But so anyways, we get everything ready for this feature. And um, anyway, my wife, which was my girlfriend at that time, we were joking her on right before the race. And she's like, well, good luck. And I said, ah, oh, if I win this thing, I said, I'll have to, uh, we'll have to get married. She's like, yeah, sure. And, you know, just joking around about it. And then I think she probably was cheering, hoping I didn't win at that time. But no, it was, but anyway, you know, so we started out and we're, we were running pretty fast. Um, the, um, 
Bloomquist, I think, was leading it at the time, and then whatever happened with him and and uh, Fry, um, you know, they they were battling there. But you know, it was, it was weird because you know everybody goes on about Fry. Well, I think he led like he didn't lead that many laps. So it's like, how many times have we seen leaders at the beginning of the race? And then all of a sudden, you know, your ifs and nuts and should haves and would haves and everything else. He, nobody knew he was going to win. You know, nobody knew if Bloomquist was going to win. Nobody knew who was going to win. Well, anyway, they got in there melee and then Bloomquist, he, uh, a few laps later, he, he fell out because, um, apparently he had weaklings that night. He had some problems with his, uh, <laughs> his fuel system and and anyway we end up you know winning it but i was like holy shit i'm running second and i see him pull in and i'm like oh my god i'm leading this thing well we keep keep a rolling and i'm i'm thinking to myself myself i'm like if i make a mistake here this is going to be i think it was at that time it was a hundred thousand to win and twenty thousand for second i'm like that is going to be a eighty thousand dollar flub up here and uh it starts raining and the groove starts changing on the track. And back then, I mean, you had to drive them cars, you know, straight, straight. If you hustled them too much, you just were not good. And the car that I had there, it drove awesome straight. Well, it starts raining out. You can start hustling the car a little bit more and getting it a little bit more crossed up. And I and I was just like, come on, baby, let's get this thing over with. And, you know, they didn't have anything telling you what lap you're on, all that stuff. And it was just, it was cool, but it was, like, nerve-wracking. Well, then, obviously, we win the race. And I think Eckert was one of the first ones to actually come over to congratulate me. And uh, he's looking around, couldn't believe it, I don't know, tires in this thing. Well, anyway, we're joking a little bit. and we didn't bring any beer down to celebrate or whatever. And, and, uh, um, people were, you know, bringing them like, Hey, you got some beer or something. We can have a go. <laughs> people with different, different teams are bringing beer over. And then we drove up, we we're up on top. We drove up just a little bit more. Well, our generator blew up on the way down. So we bought this, uh, just a regular portable one Well, we had it on the hitch. We take it off the hitch while we're in the truck it starts raining out we're in the truck and we're BSing, and all of a sudden, I think the generator quit. Well, here I I drove it ahead a little ways, and I put this thing in neutral. I never pulled the emergency brake. Well, we're BSing in it, and it just kind of gradually rolled away. All of a sudden, it's quiet, and I'm like, "You got to be kidding me!" I blew this one up too. Well, here it was just ahead of the truck, probably by about 20 feet because it unplugged, and <laughs> and uh, so it was kind of just an interesting night. And then, I mean, there's so many little things that. I remembered, you know, I didn't know um, how it got paid. You know, was it was it a hundred grand in cash? Or was, was it? it? Did yeah. Earl did Earl give you a garbage bag full of cash, or what was it? No, I I got a what a certified check, I believe it was yeah. um, for a hundred grand, and and uh, I didn't know what to think, and I I'm all nervous, and I end up thinking, well, somebody grabbed this thing or whatever, you know, and so I'm walking back and I stuff this thing in my socks. I'm like, well, (laughs) (laughs) it's just stupid stuff, you know. I don't know when you're a kid. You don't know what you're thinking at the time, but... And you were then 20, we had, about uh, 24, 25. How old were you when you won it? It was a 24, 25, right? Uh, 25. 25. Yeah, we come off the year before we had a You won the 96, USA Nationals, yeah. Yeah, we won that and a ton of races around home and yeah. UMP stuff. And it was, I mean, it was just awesome. And then we built this new car over the winter because we used to just have, 
we had one car. Well, then we ended up, and then we'd have a, a frame. So if we ever got in a bad stuff, at least we had the frame there, and we could hurry up and bolt it back together. Well, over the winter, we take and we build this car, and it's, I'm thinking at the day, anyway, it was bad to the bone. This this guy, this, um, this guy from Hard Chrome, um, would, you know, we got our bumpers chromed and our, I mean, so many things I had chromed on this thing. I thought it was just cool as hacking. Anyway, the first night out up here at Red Cedar Speedway, I'm leading the race and and I'm passing this lap car and and he lost control. He comes down and hits me in the door and, and uh, flipped this car, destroyed this car. So I'm like, here we go. Now I'm back to my old, uh, the, uh, my old car. It was kind of my old faithful, but it was kind of you know it, it, underneath it didn't look very good and. I mean, it was bank beat and banged up. Well, we put that car back together, and that's the one we took to the dream. So, do you? Um, what? Did, and I think people just don't appreciate that battle with Barnett too. It was a hell of a race you had with Steve Barnett. Didn't Steve? Who I love Steve too, by the way. But didn't he say something in victory lane afterwards? Like, I think we had the best car. I'm trying to remember that night. Didn't he say something along that lines? He he did, you know, and I I still appreciate how Steve raced because I guess very I've, clean. Oh, I would have I would have raced the yeah. same way, and maybe that right or wrong, but you know, back then, I, I mean, Earl definitely uh, ruled that place with iron fist. So, I mean, if you did something not nice, he wasn't going to put up with it. So I think a lot of people had respect on how you race people there too. But no, I've always respected Steve and how how that happened and. And, you know, he come from a ways back, so during that time, I mean, I can't say he had a better, or, oh, you know, that he didn't have the best car. I don't know. I I was learning every time I was on the racetrack of, <laughs> you know, where to even be on the track. I think my car was a hell of a lot better than I was driving it, but, um, you know, it was raining and everything else going on, you know, and same night, you know, Rick Auckland says, well, we had the fastest car, but I hit the wall, and it's like, well... Who cares? Yeah, yeah, you, know? you hit the wall. At the end of the day, I've had faster cars than people that have have beat me in other races, but does it really matter if I don't take the checkered flag first? Who really cares? La- you know. Last thing on the 97 Dream I want to ask you. You come around on the front stretch, and you see Bloomquist and Fry in a pile in turn four, right? <laughs> Bill's driven him up into the turn four wall, or turn three, turn four wall there, right on there towards the front stretch. What were you thinking when you drove by and saw that? Well... You know, there is some talk, and I mean, and I seen it that that the Fry had that four wheel drive car, car, yeah. And and we were down at at GRTs, and and I never said nothing because, you know, he did he liked my brother and respected my brother Chris on on some of his engineering ideas, and and Fry was asking Chris about that and about the car and some suggestions because he was having brought problems with breaking these CV CV joints on the front end. So I don't know. The year before, there was question if he had it at the Outlaw Nationals, and Boggs was mad why he wrecked him, whatever. And I don't know what was all going on with Bloomquist, but I was kind of like, huh, I wonder if he was PO'd about that too, you know? So we don't, nobody knows. I guess you'd have to ask them. But all I know is they're in a pile, and, and, uh, and, I'm just like, well, I guess that's another position for me. So. <laughs> Did though at that point, and it just felt so much more life changing. Did I felt like it changed your life? Your 25 year. Do you feel did that win change your life in 1997? 
a lot of things happen um some in the positive some in the some just made me grow up in a in a maybe faster than what i thought um so we got the um we got the you know won that race that got the hundred grand that was great and it helped us you know financially move things around and, and think about things differently and had some other opportunities and then and then uh you know we go into the 98 season and here comes the irs they want to audit me from how far back wondering uh. what's happening so you know we went through all of it you know so you take all your time off of that yeah. and it's like yeah yeah there's a lot of good things that happen and there's a lot of things that you just you're like really this is what comes with it yeah. so um it was interesting for sure but you know it's definitely a um uh, i'll never forget um a, you know the people that helped get us there because we had a lot of a lot of friends and family and neighbors that helped my dad um with the planting on the and uh I told them all. I said, "We win this thing." I said, "We're I'm taking everybody out for steak." Well, it was uh, that was money well worth it. And, <laughs> and the other thing that was, I tell people, it was, it was kind of an interesting deal. Is that's when cell phones were just kind of getting going, and and on the farm we had this bag phone, and <laughs> and my mom would call my dad and let him know what was happening down there. Well, on the way home, work, you know, myself, my mom. And my brother Chris, we're all calling, you know, our friends and family to tell them what what all happened. And and anyway, uh, Mom and Dad got the bill for it, and I think I'll never forget. It was four hundred fifty six bucks, <laughs> is what it was for that day of coming back home. And Dad's like, Dad's like, yeah, I think you got enough money you can pay for that. <laughs> so. So many guests. I think I could go on and on about the 97 Dream. It was really an event that changed late model racing, so I appreciate you reliving it. So many of yeah, the guests cool. So many of the guests I have on this podcast, I feel like I can ask them about the 2004 Dirt Late Model season, the very famous Hoosier Goodyear split. It really is amazing how many lives and how instrumental it was, how many lives were changed and how instrumental it was in shaping the course of Dirt Late Model history that one season. You played an important role in that in that you kind of drove, you know, you were sponsored by Stacker 2. I mean, it was your car. I call it the Stacker 2 house car in essence, right? Because you're running the series sponsored by the title sponsor. Uh, that was Goodyear exclusive. And you stayed and you ran with Doug Bland on Goodyear exclusive tires. Let's step back there 17 years ago. Did you have any hesitations, Jimmy, at all about that year? Because correct me if I'm wrong, I think... If I remember right, you were a fan of what Doug was trying to do with the Goodyear tires. Am I right about that? And did you have any hesitation at all in being a, quote, Goodyear guy that year? Well, I think Doug Doug had a lot of visions that were pretty cool. And, I agree. Um, I think that you know some people didn't give him credit for what he what he did, but you know I, I still give him a lot of credit for it. I mean, I think he got in a put into some bad positions that maybe people looked upon him as not being a good person, but he was always a good person that had some pretty cool visions. I mean, no matter what, he he's the one that got the, the whole Lucas Oil sponsorship to come in, and, and I'll, never, I'll never forget it. They went and revealed that car down at the Dixie Shootout for Pearson to drive, and that's kind of where it all started. Um, with the with the Lucas Oil stuff, getting him getting them involved, and it was it was uh, pretty cool. I mean, he he had a lot of things that were 
were were good um that he had going on and and uh and you know and I understand some people's what they thought but at the same time I know like me and Brian um Burkhofer, we're running around some of the Have a Tampa stuff or well it wasn't Have a Tampa at that time it was UDTRA and they had the open tire rule well there was tires that that I know that I wasn't getting and I know that Brian wasn't getting and we're competing for a championship and I'll never forget that Francis goes out there with a RD it wasn't an RD12 at the time it was some other stamp something else well you didn't even have to have it stamped you just ground you know ground the numbers off and he waxed everybody's asses at the West Virginia Motor Speedway and he sucked like a couple races before that and I'm like this is complete BS, and I know Frank, or Burkhofer felt the same thing, and it kind of ticked a lot of people off that maybe weren't getting that same support from Hoosier. So I didn't really care, you know what I mean? I still don't care about it. You know, I think that it's, I think that uh, sponsorship from a Hoosier, it's like we're sponsoring ourselves when Hoosier says they're sponsoring us. So I know they'll probably get mad at me about that, but that's the way I feel. I think it's a crock. Let's find some corporate sponsors that help everything, but. Anyway, so Goodyear comes in. I don't know if I'm completely for Goodyear's, but the programs that maybe Bland had put together, I thought, you know, I thought it made sense, you know. And uh, for a while, I think a lot of pe- other people thought it made sense. And then, I, you know, then it gets swayed into this stupid tire war. And and basically, it just, you know, the tire deal is what destroyed Bland. But I remember the money that we would race for was it was like earned money you know what i mean like if we got tires it was you, you got a free tire is because you earned it not just because you were who you may have thought you were or something and uh you know so there for a while i guess i'm still probably the red-headed stepchild on that part and maybe not as bad as it once was with since hoosier's not owned by the same company but um you know doug had a lot of cool things going and uh um, a lot of people got their their starts to more into the dirt racing. I mean, whether it had been um, you know the, some of the TV guys that that were in part of it, some of the marketing people in part of it, hell, some of the stacker two girls I think are they're still more around in the dirt stuff too. So I mean, everybody got a part or a start of of their careers with that stacker two thing. So he had a lot of visions. I mean, we had. I think that one night we had uh, some Sable or, I don't know what it was, Sable I think was down at um, East Bay. So he was trying to put some bunch of hoopla in it and trying to make races big. I mean, that's why we're in Knoxville right now. Yeah. It's not because of Lucas Oil or World of Allah. It was because of Doug Bland is why we were at um, at Knoxville. And that's pretty that's pretty cool, I think. Let's pretend that his vision won out, right? And that we, the Goodyear thing, what would be different about dirt late model racing today had his vision won? Well, I I think there would have been, all the support would have been on the Lucas Oil side. And he, you know, he still had like one major series that his thought was, but he had different regional, um, regional um, sanctioning or series where you could, where his thought was is okay. I, I own these regional series, so now I'm going to go race over in the Northeast series. I'm going to have additional cars. I'm never going to be lacking car counts. I'm going to go down south. 
I'm going to have this series going on. I'm not going to lack car counts. I'm going to go, you know, southwest and or southwest and northwest. I'm going to I'm going to have cars to to come into this uh, this major sanctioning body. Where now, I mean, it's tougher because everybody's got their own set of rules, and not not all of them fit together. So you don't get the car counts maybe they need to. So his his vision was he was going the right direction. There's just a lot of people that were worried about this. They're more worried about the free tires than they were about what your future your, that your future was going to be. So I always think that the way I look at it is like what my old man used to say is, "Why are you tripping over a hundred dollars to save a dime?" You know, and I, I feel like that's kind of where that was in that time. I mean. You know, I, I think it could have, they could have, Hoosier could have did the same thing. You know, they, they still could, you know, and, and uh, I, I I don't know. I, I think that he really had things going. I think we'd all be sitting a lot better than what we are in certain ways right now with arguing and stuff between sanctioning bodies. Did you, last thing I want to ask you about that, was there, as as a guy that was running Stacker 2, was there? Do you remember that whole year feeling tense? Like, oh God, there's another national tour out there, and Scott and Billy and Mark and all these guys went with this. And was it competitive? Was it tense? Was there a lot of talk in the pits about it constantly? Or what, what did it feel like in '04? You know, it, it almost felt like they wanted to act like we were the B team, and they were the you know they were the A team. And was there talent on on the on the the world of outlaw side absolutely but there's talent equally on the the stacker two stuff i mean i'll never forget you know people would kind of make fun of that and and i got thick enough skin i don't really care just i was more worried about what was happening than what people job out but i mean i remember earl pearson he'd go in there and he'd you know set fast time win a heat win a feature and get out of there you know but the world of outlaw guys they weren't allowed to come and run the stack or two stuff so um it was it was definitely a tense deal and and you know i felt bad for doug i mean maybe maybe in certain ways he bit off more than he could chew but it was more because he had a good vision of what the sport was and he wasn't worried about just the good old boys of what was happening um who he was going to take care of um you know the freebie stuff it was more of trying to move it forward and, you know, maybe ruffle some feathers on certain people's pockets. But, you know, I, I, the TV, the hoopla was happening at the racetrack. It was, it was pretty cool. Uh, your top five in 2004, by the way, Earl Pearson, Jr., Jimmy Mars, Donnie Moran, Brian Burkhoffer, Matt Miller. Not bad, right? <laughs> pretty, pretty uh, good. Pretty good top five. <laughs> yeah, I think some of them guys have maybe won something in their life, but you know, I think that we all kind of had that feeling of why are you know why was it you know some of the direction on the tire stuff, the open tires, why was it going this direction and maybe not good for all of us? And I, it was, it was just kind of got weird i remember one time i was you know i was upset with hoosier and some of the tires that i didn't get so i bought an american racer and stamped hoosier on out stenciled hoosier on the outside of it well i thought the world was coming to the end with hoosier and i'm just like screw that we'll just keep moving forward here so 
as we pivot towards the end of this interview, I want to talk about your business a little bit. If you ask any customer of yours right now, they will all tell you that you are not only one of the best chassis brands out there with your MB cars, but working with you is of high joy to them. And I mean that. I've had everybody that's ever worked with you tell me that. They love working with the Mars brothers and the Mars family. But I want to circle back a bit to when the chassis company started back in that 07, 08 range. I think there's a lot of questions or misconceptions about the genesis, the beginning of MB. You know, I think a lot of people thought it was you and Brian Burkoffer's business, when in reality it was you and your brother Chris's business. Can can you just take me through the beginning of that chassis business and maybe correct some of the misconceptions about who started it, how it started, and all of that, Jim? Well, I think it's actually got to back up a little bit further sure. than that. Um, so... Basically, when we started late miles and we got run well before late miles, we were running um, super stocks and we ran street stocks and all that. Well, in order for us to, you know, we 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 built cars and in order for us to keep racing or to maybe move forward, we had guys that you know would ask us questions and and uh, maybe want us to scale their car, maybe want us to do some repair work for them. And me and Chris would do that uh, along with, you know, doing custom farm work for people so that we could afford to be able to race. Because, you know, since until the day, I, I've I've never had a car owner. We've all, me and Chris have always owned our stuff and did it with how we could do it. Well, anyway, so moving forward, we've always repaired somebody's cars. We've always, you know, hang a body for a car. You, you know, one of our highlights back in 90 four or five is we got to put a, a body and interior on Rick Eggersdorf's late model. And I was like, Oh my God, this is cool. You know, I mean, we're, we're finally making it where they recognize that, you know, we do good work. Well, um, you know, 96, we, we built some more, we went and won a lot. Well, I had some people asking if we would sell them a master build and set it up like what we do. And Yep, yeah, we'll do that. And then, uh, actually, my father-in-law, Paul Gilberts, had master belts, and he was struggling a little bit. And I always got along really good with Paul. Um, and I said, "Bring that thing down here. Let's get that thing squared away so it's it's fast." Well, we went, chain, you know, went through a few things that maybe we were doing and that he had not right. And and he goes out and he immediately starts running good. Well, people notice that, so we start doing a little bit more of that and thankful for Masterbuilt to allow us to be able to do that with some of them cars. Well, we get in this uh, sponsorship with Parker Store. We're going to go run the Have a Tampa slash UDTRA deal. So we back down from building race cars. And we go out there and we're just focused 100% on our racing, nothing else. And um, 9-11 hits. And we're it's right before the Texas race. Everything shuts down. We can't race. Parker Store comes in, tells us our contract was up that year, and they're like, um, "We can't sponsor you next year. Um, we're we're like <laughs> we're laying people off, all this stuff." And I'm like, "Oh crap!" So we we're trying to figure out what we're gonna do. I'm like, well, maybe we can get another sponsorship picked up or whatever. But I was thinking, all right, I I, I need to buy some cars, and we'll just do this in the winter. Because here my brother is taking in, in, in on 
our more of our role in in racing and making his living off of that and Jeff Harrison was and I was like well we're going to all have to get different jobs you know go get out of this stuff well I called Masterbuilt and I said I want to buy 12 cars and they're like okay um so I bought 12 frames and I advertise first time I've ever advertised I'm going to buy 12 frames and I want 12 drivers and we fill it up and in a short period of time we start building cars and it was masters built from Mars and master build at that time is weird because he, they sold more frames than they ever just sold you know rollers out of there it was sure. just a different era as yeah. far as that went but they had a lot of dealers so on and so forth so we, we did that and then um we got to know Brian. Um, we had a lot of success. Let me back up here. We had a lot of success up in the Wasota area and won Nash, our drivers won national championships and W in Wasota and WDRL stuff and everything was going pretty good. And then, um, same time Masterbuilt was, you could tell that, and I don't, I don't blame them. I mean, they were getting kind of, you could say that they were getting burnt out just a little bit with, you know, the employees or, you know, their kids, they want to focus, you know, their kids are getting old. Everything was just changing. And I always told Masterbuilt, I said, if I'm going to do something different, we're going to build our own car. I'm never going to, I'm not going to go out and just, you know, start selling another brand of cars. Well, we ended up building this car. My brother had some ideas and this would have been in 06, um, some different ideas. He's like, I just want to build our car the way I want to do it once. So we built this car we had one of these ratcheting pipe benders. We had, you know, how it was, nothing like it was set up for a production deal. And uh, meantime, still selling master builds. And then Chris, you know, just wanted to change the way the frame's built and mounting points, so on and so forth. Well, this car was bad to the bone when it was slippery out. It was absolutely terrible when it was tacky. So I was always struggling when it was tacky. But when it come back around and it start blowing off the track wood, it was good. Well, anyway same time Burke offers took notice of this and you know Brian had master builds he was like I got to do something different at that time so he gets a rocket car and he's running good with his rocket car and he's cutting and welding and making his car into that and then he's like why don't he says we need to just build a car we need to build a car and this is like an 07 and Chris is like I'm not just I can't just build cars with a ratcheting pipe bender and be, repeat all this stuff. If we're going to do it, we're going to jump in with both feet and we're going to buy the right equipment and we're going to we're going to do this. And then he's like, Brian, if we're going to do this, I want you to be in this deal through thick and thin and everything else. And Brian's like, yeah, 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 I'll do it, I'll do it. Well, we start building this car into 07. Both he was in a rocket, he was running very good. We were in our, our master build, and we were running good. Uh, we actually ended the year, I think you remember it, down at Pike County, yep. won thirty grand in 07. You and I were there and about maybe 250 other people at most. Yeah, about 250 <laughs> other people up in the stands. So, yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting. <laughs> so, so, anyway, during that whole time, we're, we start building these, you know, started off that fall thinking about how we were going to do it. Well, my brother gets a hold of Bailey Industries, start talking to them about pipe benders and, and notchers and that kind of stuff. Well, that's kind of how it all started. And then, you know, Brian was in on it at first and 
we went through and some of the stuff that he wanted and some of the stuff that we already had on our car and some of the stuff that, you know, the, the goods and bads of the design of all the cars. And, and uh, anyway, that's kind of the jig was already built with uh, the main mounting points off of that car, that, the first car that my brother built. And that car we ran, it, it, it still had masters built on the side of it. We never really told anybody it was any different, you know, but it was different. Um, and uh, you, anyway, that's kind of how the inception of the whole a really car started. A good us. historical perspective on that, some of which I did not know. You say, yeah. Brian, you say Brian was involved in the beginning. Was he involved financially? Because I always thought it was just you and Chris were the financial stakeholders in it. There was a little bit that he went and put in there. I think he bought some tubing in there or something else. That, I don't remember what all we did, but, it, you know, it was... You know, my guys up here, my, um, you know, my shop, my electricity, my, yeah. you know, braces, whatever, welders, whatever else was done. And, you know, he, he come up and definitely was helping for sure on it, you know. So those are three of us going together and trying to um, build a, build this car. And, uh, and we got the first, you know, he had some stuff that was, um, didn't turn out exactly right at first and other parts we did. And. I think we all had decent ideas of of what was happening. We were we were looking at you know what we needed to do. Um, what we wanted to have is a different car. Well, a question for you then is: there's always this misconception that there was this, or maybe it's not a misconception. I, I shouldn't speak to that. I'll let I'll let you tell me that you guys had a falling out. I know I've seen you guys talk since then, and I've seen you laugh and joke with each other. It doesn't seem like it can be that bad, but that Brian Burkhoffer and Jimmy Mars had a falling out. Was there a falling out, and what happened that he was no longer involved? I don't know if there was a, uh, a complete falling out. You know, there's always something. You know, like I've, I've known Brian long enough with he was – you know, we had our real good times together. I mean, we enjoyed building the cars. You know, I was into it. Like I, I told him right from the beginning, hey, we're we when we do this, Master Built's not going to be happy with me to keep selling cars, and my customers aren't. We're going to have to build a car for our our customers because I can't afford to. I'm not going to be able to afford to pay my employees and my shop loans and everything else operating costs to just thinking I'm going to do it off of going out racing because uh, you know it's it's it can be really good one one week and really bad another week in racing we all know that so um he, I know he was his direction he didn't want nothing to do with selling cars and I wanted to keep selling cars and I know that there is a little bit of thought process that was different on on that and um you know that was that was made clear right from the time that we were building cars so it was uh you know i'm sure that that had a little bit to do with it and then i know that brian got where he wasn't you know he was when he was winning he's really happy and when he's not winning it's it's a kind of a feast or famine feeling and uh and I get that. And uh, at the time when we split, he wasn't running good. And I'm like, you know, I, I think when you're not running good, that's you dig deeper than than you ever do. And, and I definitely had to because not only did we have our, um, you know, our racing that we had to worry about, but we had our, you know, I got some 
you know, a pretty nice place up here that, you know, I got a business note with that I got to pay. So we had to make it all go for sure. I had to dig deep. I couldn't just get up and leave all the customers that have got cars from us. That's not the way I, I, you just can't do that. So I had a vested interest that I had to make sure happen, you know. In 09, Jimmy, you know, you're the first guy ever to win three fifty thousand dollars to win races in one year, the North South, the dirt track, the USA Nationals, Burke offer. You're, you guys are both in MB cars in 09. He wins the show me. He wins a ton of other races that year. I don't think people really remember or realize how much you had the chassis world chasing their tails a little bit for that year or two. Rocket, the Bloomquist cars were hot at that time. You really were on top of the world there in 2009-10 there, weren't you? I mean, you just were kicking ass, the both of you, those couple of years and, and making people like Mark Richards think, I think. Well, it definitely uh, um, was good for us. Um, 08, we started out, you know, and we got – People were chuckling, making fun of us. I remember Bloomquist making, you know, kind of lit a fire under Burkhoffer's ass for sure, making fun of our chassis and whatever. And and uh, I know the end of two eight or two thousand eight, um, we ended up. I know Burkhoffer won some that year, um, starting out, um, and then at the end of it, we both were running very well and. I know we won that Challenger deal out in Pennsylvania, and then I knew I know that uh, then we went down and won that uh, the National 100 at Alabama and ran against some good cars. So I I felt like we had definitely had a uh, some momentum going into 2009, and and uh, my cars felt good, but we didn't have a whole lot of good luck at the beginning of 2009, and then uh, we got things a clicking. Um, pretty good and started winning some bigger races and then um, it was uh, it was kind of just a, kind of a weird fog if you want to say because they all kind of rolled into each other the winds and it was it was going really good you know we got accused of everything other than having a good car you know, <laughs> I remember one time I mean after after the whole year was over Bloomquist he was at the PRI and he's like hey good job but he says I know what kind of tire tire stuff you're on i know what you're on and i'm like yeah yeah you bet you i'm sure you do <laughs> but it was you know it couldn't have just been a hey they did a damn good job and and made their cars good you know we had to listen to that crap too you know kind of like my little bit of overton what he's put up with. yeah so. i've got some fun stuff to ask you to, to wrap up but one last thing on your business somebody who's a customer of yours said to me and they meant it as a compliment you don't realize how big mb custom currently is obviously you build a ton of late models but mods right you build just so many modifieds in that four to five hour circle around minneapolis up there uh they they joked and they said hey just ask mars how big his business is right now and i said what what do you want me to try to get a tax return on the air or a number or what do you what? <laughs> I, I, the point I'm making here is you've built a hell of a businessman, and I'm so I just think you are as good of a businessman as you are a racer, and I wanted to tell you how proud of you I am for that because it's impressive what MB is. If people don't know, it is so impressive in the Upper Midwest. Well, it it definitely uh, it definitely you know becomes something that's uh, um, it's it's I wouldn't say spin out of control, but it's definitely gained momentum. You know, there for a while. I mean, when Brian. Brian left. I mean, it hurt. It was like, oh shit, them cars. You know, if Brian's not there, that business is going tank. And it's like, um, I don't know how big of, I don't know if people know how big of uh, influence or part that my brother is. Which he, oh, yeah. you know, brother, 
you can't hardly get him to say a word unless he's got two, three beers in him. But my brother's the one that he's the one that, um, you know, I, I, a hundred percent mean this. I don't think there's a lot of people that know how smart my brother is. Um, and I know they can go on and talk about Rumley and so on and so forth. And, and I got respect for all them guys. Don't get me wrong, but my brother, just cause he doesn't have his own shirts made and let's say Chris Mars on it or whatever. He's a, he's a pretty smart individual. And, uh, He's the one that's, you know, kept this, made this go, and then the momentum started there, and and then the core group of guys that I have, and the in the back in the shop, and AJ coming on board and all that. It's a group effort. It's not just, it's not Jimmy Mars. It's a, I got a ton of great guys that work for me that that make, that are proud of what we do, and and they make their living in it. So their their focus is as much or more than me. Chris Mars is one of the five smartest people in dirt late model racing, period. Uh, he is. And, and enough people who know the sport have told me that, Jimmy, that you're right. I mean, Chris, your brother is, is a brilliant dude, right? And maybe we yep. do need to get him shirts. Chris Mars engineering, the whole thing. Like, and by the way, <laughs> Kevin Rumley also very, very smart. I'm not taking anything away from Kevin. Let's get Chris shirts too. <laughs> Let's make I, some shirts I'm, for Chris. I'm thinking about it. I mean, there's a, you know, we didn't, we didn't make the shirt up, that the device that like we had in the modifieds and some of our late model stuff, but. Uh, maybe I need to make that shirt up too, but no, it, it's we're just I'm just kidding. We don't we're we're all good with with uh, behind the scenes. Just you know, I don't, we don't need to be out in front of it. You know. Okay, a couple of fanboy questions I have for you. Whenever I think of you, um, I think of the relationship, and you've referenced him a couple times in this podcast already that you and Scott Bloomquist have, and I can't help but think of Lernerville when I think of you too. It's odd, right? Here's a guy from East Tennessee. Here's a guy from Northern Wisconsin. Really, I'm going to use the term rivalry and relationship, really kind of stoked its biggest flames in Western Pennsylvania at Lernerville. You have the famous year where you guys beat and banged and you drove him all the way off the track and turn one, right? And the crowd goes absolutely wild. You have the year that you win the firecracker. Scott protests your tires. I think you ended up having to take a lie detector test and, and all this other shit you had to do when Scott protested your tires. If I just said to you, Jimmy, you and Scott at Lernerville, boy, that's been some wild shit, huh? What would you say to that? Because I, I, I just cannot not think of you two at that track in Western Pennsylvania together. Well, it's it's kind of there's a lot of little things that that led up to it, and and you know Scott's by far is is one and you know maybe one of the best drivers that's ever sat in a car, but that doesn't that doesn't exclude him from ever being a dipshit either. And <laughs> and there's so many things that were out of the race car and comments that were made and stuff that he did, you know, and I looked up to the guy, you know, and I'm, you know, he'd get mad at me. Oh, you did this to me or you did that to me. And I'm like, Oh man, I, okay. I'm sorry. You know, I didn't need to do this, you know? And, and there's times, hell, we won the, we won the, he wrecked down at the, the topless 100 and, and he comes over wanting a beer and he's like, um, you know, I need it. You know, I want can I get a beer? And I said, yeah, if you can answer me a question. He's like, what's that? And kind of going on, I ask him just a little bit about tire staggers and stuff like that. And, and he, uh, I'll help you. He says, I, I don't like that Moyer anyway. I want you to beat Moyer. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever here. So he's going through our tires and he's pinching them. No, this one's good. This one's not good. This one's good. 
And all of a sudden he's like, ah, screw it. And he's like, Danny, go get my, go get one of our tires. I put one of his left ears on. I end up winning this race. Hell, I don't know. He might've had it doped. I don't know, but I want it. And I, I thanked him for doing it. Well, then after that, you know, there's just stuff that was said and I'm just like, come on, man, what's your deal? And things that he did and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm pretty mild mannered guy, but if you do make me mad i'm i'm gonna be mad it's just i'm not gonna take it you know and anyway so there's a lot of things that stemmed up to that lernerville deal and uh you know he was always you know he'd always say something about oh you did you know you didn't give me room on the track or you didn't do this to me and it's like and all i ever did is tried to because i respected the guy well then he goes out there and uh, driving me everywhere on the track except for his you know I was just like, come on, Scott, whatever. Well, he drives down across my nose, and I'm like, screw you. It is what it is. Here we go. I'm sick of it. And, uh, you know, so then whatever, we go off the track. Well, and, to, to be uh, fair, Jim, you, you launched him out of the track, right? It was well, a spectacular I, crash. Well, <laughs> eventually you kind of get sick of a guy to just – just be a normal person. Just try it once. You don't have to act like a dipshit every time you get up, you know, you talk, you know, just act like a normal person once. Just try it. See what it's like. And he just couldn't ever do it, you know. Well, anyway, that happened, whatever. And then we go back out and I don't remember what I ended up running. I ran still all right in that race. But then was it the year after? I don't remember what it was. And we win this thing. And it was fair and square. And, uh, and I don't know. I, I can't speak for him on what he was doing with this whole tire doping thing, but he, you know, he was convinced that Burkhoffer was doing his doping his tires, and he was convinced that me that I was. Or, and I'm like, how much time do you think that we actually got here? Uh, we don't have, I mean, we don't have time to to even think about doping our tires, let alone traveling six hours to get somewhere. And, you know, just all these accusations just kind of, you know, finally just kind of come to a head. And then, obviously, then we win that race. Well, then he's got to go and, you know, it wasn't just like a, a protest on the tires. It was like this extensive, you know, way in-depth tire test that they did. And I don't know how many weeks later. Well, I know that there's been, you know, him and his little cronies when they dump stuff in the water down at the down at the cross the scale so everybody's tires look like they were dope not just his and they'd go out and go fast and i mean that jordan bland i've never seen him run good and all of a sudden he goes out and kicking everybody's butt on it i'm like really and then uh, now you're going to do this to me well we go across the scales in Lernerville, and I'm like, I'm sure shit. I bet you that guy went and threw stuff and you know who knows with his cronies what he does well anyway um, so we got to get t- samples for all of our tires. Well, then they go in, and they're all legal. And then uh, Tim Christman's like, we still got we don't know what he's going to try to pull here. So we've got to get this this uh, lie detector person. I'm like, whatever. I'm just, I'm sick of it. Whatever we got to do. Get him up here right away. So they flew the lie detector person up to um, Deer Creek, and uh, this was a guy that they hire to for bass tournaments or something, yeah, I guess. Ba- yeah, Bassmasters, have, they always take a lie detector test, yes. Yep, 
so this guy does that. Well, anyway, I flew up there, and I got to go in this little room, and, you know, first thing I'm, I mean, I'm mad. If he would have been sitting in front of me right then, is I would have Is this right after the event? This is right after the event, or this is like weeks? This is a couple, couple, couple weeks after okay. this event, you know, and, and it's like, it was weird because they didn't really even, if they, they protested my tires, but then they never really checked his. Like, it was it was very odd, and it was quiet and odd, and and I called Tim, and there nothing was set, getting said, and I'm like, what the hell's happening here? Because not only is you know you know something, you know I wouldn't put anything past how they operate, Bloomquist. So I'm thinking, did he did he alter him? Did is there something that he knows someplace that they're getting done that he had something to do with it? I mean, I don't know what what he's doing or his cronies think well or have done well anyway all that stuff gets running through your mind well then uh you know they call and they're like well no everything's good but for lawsuits and all this other stuff we're gonna have to make you do this lie detector thing so anyway i go down there again i'm going back to the story i'm down at deer creek they hook all these wires up to me and i ask that guy i says uh i says well I says, does this show that I'm pissed off? Does that affect what the lie is? Oh, no, there's a difference between you being mad and, and uh, deception. I was like, okay, well, that's good, because I'm pretty freaking mad right now. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I got to go through, and they do a test, and they're like, count a number or pick a number, one through five, and, and then lie about the number that you picked. So I picked. Well, I picked three, and I told him five. Well, it does a test, and sure enough, it comes up that I lied about what number I picked. So it's kind of interesting. And uh, I go through the test, and he's like, um, he says, well, um, without a doubt, he says, of the test, he says, you never altered or did anything to your tires. I'm like, I know I did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, so that... Uh, um, you know, Bloomquist, he's like, oh, I just want to make them so that it was just honest. And I'm like, really? You're the guy that's been busted how many times and you want to worry about me being honest? Come on, man. I would like him to be hooked up to a lie detector once on everything that he's done. But I will say this, like, def- I'm not def- I'm not defending Scott about the Lernerville thing at all because I obviously I think that was silly. You know, you, you and this is going to sound like I'm defending him, and I don't think I am, but you said, you know, you want want him to be a normal person, et cetera, et cetera. But like that is kind of who he is, right? Scott's an eccentric guy, right? So that I don't, I think that is normal for him in a way. Not not the accusing you of cheating tires. The rest of it, I think Scott is truly an eccentric guy. Don't you probably agree? Well, I think he's an eccentric guy, but I think it's an attention. Like I think he, I like if he didn't have attention, then I think he'd go nuts. Like oh my god, I got to put a. Do I need a skull and on my car? Or do I got to go and what am I? You know, today he's like he's still trying to find who he's at. It, I'm like, do you want to be an alien? Do you want to be a, a pirate? What what the hell you want to be? You know, why don't you just try to be like yourself once? Just just try it. Maybe you know, which I think he actually kind of is a little bit more than he once was. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. I agree. I mean, he's you know, if he wants to be a hippie, I don't give a shit if he's a hippie. But you don't just. You know, that's that was an annoying thing is he'd tell me, you know, if I if you're gonna do something with me, you gotta go and have your car look like that. And I'm like, no, I'm I am who I am. If I sell shirts, great. If I don't, 
I don't. I'm I'm a I'm a farmer from Wisconsin that had a chance to go race, and that's who I am. I'm no more than that. I don't. Never once have I thought I'm some superstar driver. I'm just local guy that got it, loved racing, and that's what I've did. I've never portrayed myself as some superstar, and that's just the way I act, and that's the way I am. You know, people if people don't like it, I don't really care. I'm gonna come back home and. Well, I might be driving a tractor one day. I might be having a bush light on a pontoon. Who knows? Jimmy, it's a perfect way to end it before I get to my true or false questions. Derek Kessinger just walked into the office, and I'm recording this Jimmy Mars podcast. I asked Jimmy Mars, Derek, and I know your mic's not working right now, so I'll let your face do the talking. He said, Aaron Rod, this is exact quote, Aaron Rodgers is a douche, and we should have gotten rid of him. Derek disagrees. As a Packers fan, Derek, <laughs> Derek disagrees. Jim. Uh, all right, I just I wanted I wanted to hear Derek say I wanted to see Derek's face when I said that. Okay, we finish <laughs> we finish every Rigsby report with a series of true or false questions, and this is I'm going to tweet this out. This has been the best Rigsby report interview I've ever done, and I want you to know that you have been tremendous. Here we go with true or false. True or false, Jim. The 1997 dream win you had, true or false, you actually were not even going to attend that race. I know you referenced the farming with your family, but I heard from an inside source that you were a little pissed off about some stuff. You didn't think you had time to go. You were not going to go, and your dad had to talk you into going, the race you won, true or false. Well, it's true, but I was kind of saying that in spite of him because <laughs> I wanted to go to the Show Me 100, too, and he wouldn't let me. So I was like, fine, I won't go to any of it. Screw it. I'm done. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, so true. He had to talk you into going. True. Okay. Uh, you referenced this earlier, too. I heard it was 30-0. and 0. True or false, your Sam, your son Sam once went undefeated in go-karts in one season. You said he was 19-0. I heard it was 30-0. and 0. He, True or false, he literally did not lose a race one time during a season? True. He didn't. He didn't lose one race, and I, it was nineteen. Okay. There's somebody was fluffing the story when they told me thirty, <laughs> but that's okay. Yep. Nineteen is that's still very good. impressive. I wish it was thirty. A <laughs> uh, couple to go. True or false? You read the newspaper every day. Hard copy, print edition newspaper, ink in your hands every day. Is that true? Hundred percent true. Um, I get some of the useless facts, and I. I go up to AJ, hey, do you know this? And he's always rolling his eyes because I got some useless fact that I got to tell him. Okay. And by the way, I love a hard copy newspaper also, so I appreciate that about you. Last true or false question. This one's loaded. Next year, when you turn 50, you have referenced before that that might be your final year behind the wheel. True or false, next year will be your final year competing in dirt late model racing. Maybe. <laughs> Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy, the game is true or false. It's not maybe. Not a, I, uh, possibly true. Okay. It, you, in all honesty, though, you think it could be it next year? You've always, I've always heard you say fifty would be it, so that would make sense, right? Yeah, I want to get, um, I want to get someone to, I'm going to get someone to fill my shoes. Um, well, I shouldn't even say feel my shoes. I want to find the right person to drive our car. I want my shoes. I don't want that filled. I want them to be way better than what I could ever have been. But um, I want to get that that done and where we're comfortable with that. And then then it'll be time for me to take another role in our, our racing for sure. Well, I mean, guy filling your shoes. I mean, you got a guy in house, literally, I think lives in your house there. Surely he's going to be lobbying your son to, to fill in, right? <laughs> well, I have very good 
pick of of people right now just in our shop that's uh very good um, um sam's got a lot to learn uh aj's very good um aj's got a family aj you know is a big part of what we're doing but uh and james giassi is uh nitro a hell of a good racer yeah. so um it, amongst a lot of our customers i have a heck of a pick of the litter here for putting somebody in my car for sure all right well I appreciate the the honest responses there, and I mean it. That was it was an awesome. We almost went ninety minutes, and, and it was I was riveted by every one of your answers. I could talk dirt light model racing with you all day, and uh, I really I I have as much respect for you, Jimmy, as I do anybody that I have encountered in this sport, and that is not bullshit. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. You're just an easy dude to respect because of how you carry yourself. I really mean that. Well, I appreciate that, and like I said before, not to come back and try to fluff your balls, but I, you, <laughs> you, uh, dirt on dirt. When what you guys, you know, started, how you did it, and where you're at now, and uh, and taking things, um, um, I think it's pretty flattering when I see what you do, and then all of a sudden, oh, this company's got to start live streaming, and then, oh, Lucas Oil, they got to start live streaming because of what. Michael Rigsby's done. I think it's bad to the bone. So I, I think that you should be flattered for what some of these productions have have did for what you've done. So I think that's pretty cool. I appreciate that. And maybe um, you and I collectively could talk Aaron Rodgers into at least getting a haircut, right? If he's going to be on your team, can we at least clean him up a little bit? <laughs> well, you think he'd at least wash it if he's not going to clean it? At least he <laughs> it wants. Does it look looks dirty. like it. It does. Looks look like dirty. somebody slobbered him with slobbered him with vo5 or something who knows what it is Uh, jim i appreciate it man thanks we'll talk soon okay all right have a good day if you buy a car truck or van new or used from bomb chevy buick in clinton illinois you get a free lifetime subscription forever to dirt on dirt and flow racing literally until you're no longer alive you will get this subscription check out bombchevybuick.com today that's b-a-u-m chevybuick.com they are based just south of my house here in central illinois in clinton and they also happen to be just some of the best human beings i have ever worked with in any business capacity so if you need a car or a truck or a van new or used buy it from bomb and you get the added benefit of a lifetime lifetime subscription to flow and dirt on dirt that's pretty cool some of the words that were used to describe Jimmy uh, when I talked to people about him, truth teller, straight shooter, honest as they come. And I think all of those are correct. And I hope that that came through uh, in the interview that you just listened to. Thanks to Jimmy for spending over an hour with me. He's just a guy that when you see him in the pits, you want to talk to. And I would encourage anyone listening now to do that. Stop him, shake his hand, and tell him thank you for spending his life in and around dirt late model racing we'll be back quickly with another rigsby report soon i think i'll have one next week actually go in depth with another guest and i'm wondering is it too soon to bring randy weaver on i mean we're in beetle slash randy weaver mania after eldora right now is it too soon post eldora to bring him on i don't know i think it might be the time to have the dream weaver on Uh, we'll be back next week thanks for listening guys